Hey, this is Doug. We've been getting a lot of phone calls lately through our customer service department from distributors and clients uh, concerned about the coronavirus. And so we decided a couple of Tuesday nights ago to go ahead and do a class on the coronavirus and specifically the testing data that's showing that the multi-cluster ionization technology is effective against viruses. I think you'll find this interesting. This presentation is presented by Normie. The National Organization of Remediators and Mold Inspectors is a not-for-profit 5016C trade association training and supporting IAQ mold professionals, especially in those states that require licensing and for those across the country who want credible certification to promote their business. Please remember to like us on Facebook at fan.normie.org and visit www.normie.org to view our 18 certifications and class schedules. And now, our presentation. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to CE Training, February 4th, 2020. Glad to see everybody in the room, and I want to welcome everybody on our other platforms tonight. We are live on Facebook. We are out there on DLive, the Twitch network. We're at uh, Normie TV, YouTube, Ustream, and probably a whole bunch of other places with watch parties going on. So welcome, everybody, and welcome to our admin folks coming here in the room. Doug, I'm going to turn it over to you right now. Uh, my voice has left the building. And, uh, okay. Gonna All right, on. so let me, get, let me share this screen. And uh, I'll just ask, uh, hopefully you're seeing continuing education. Two four twenty twenty. We are okay. Thank you very much. Um, what I want to do tonight is I want to talk. Let me see if I can do this because I don't think. Yeah, I just want to uh, make sure that that you can see this whole screen. And um, one of the things. Give me just a second here. All right, we're good. Yeah, I'm good. Um, I want to talk tonight about a couple of things. We've got three topics that we're going to cover, and we're going to cover them. Like I said, I don't want to to uh, run overtime tonight uh, because of a lot of other stuff that's going on. But I want to share with you um, what's, uh, I think, some pretty important things that's happened with us and, and uh, some information that we've gotten uh, that I think you really want to know about these air purifiers. So I'm, these are the three things I want to talk about. I want to talk about two brand new certifications. One is called the Normie Certified Mold Assessment Technic, and the other one is a certified mold screener and a CMS. And I want to talk about those two certifications, uh, why we've done this. And I think you're going to understand if you've been in the industry a while, you're definitely going to understand the value in, in doing this. Uh, there are several states that we're talking to that are talking about uh, creating a mold assessment license. And there's still a place in those places where they have a mold assessment license, room for another couple of certifications. And these are the two that I want to talk about tonight, about how they could fit into not only licensed states, but also uh, unlicensed states. And then the third thing that I want to talk about tonight is, guess what this is? That's actually a uh, graphic illustration of the coronavirus, novel coronavirus. And so I want to talk a little bit about that tonight and what we've learned about uh, not only uh, where we are with that, 
as a uh, as a, a country, but uh, what we can do to uh, protect ourselves from uh, its effects. All right, so let me talk first about this certified mold assessment technician. And uh, you can read with me on this. I'm going to read a little bit of this uh, because I, I want to explain it, but I want to make sure that I say it correctly. Uh, the CMAT, Normie Certified Mold Assessment Technician course, is designed to help the professional mold remediator work through the assessment process from creating a baseline assessment using lab sampling and moisture mapping to perform interim evaluations and to performing inter interim evaluations and developing a post-remediation verification. So I want you to stop and think about that for, for, for just a moment. Three things that a mold remediator, we're not talking about an assessor, we're talking about a mold remediator, needs to know about assessment, how to create a baseline assessment, how to do uh, uh, interim evaluations, and how to develop a post-remediation verification. This class assumes that a third party assessor is not available to do the necessary pre or post sampling to objectively assure the project was done correctly. Objectively is a huge word here. And what we're talking about is we're talking about the fact that um, even a, a remediator, if there's no assessor on site, needs to have an objective way of evaluating the success of the project. And that's what testing or screening is all about. And so that's what this class is about, is teaching a remediator how to do this in the absence of a third-party assessor. Mold assessors are always recommended to oversee a remediation project. That's a given, and of course, we know that in the states that have licensing laws, um, that's uh, a required thing that they they need to separate that and he needs to get an assessor on site but in some cases third-party professionals are unavailable there are some places where there's just not any uh, third-party assessor that's uh, uh, available either because the licensing law doesn't require it or because the uh, the reality is, is that there's there's just nobody going to pay for it. And so as it ends up, the remediator is going to have to um, have, uh, if he can't have an assessor on site, he has to know how to do the assessment. Of course, this should always be a separate process, but sometimes property owners are unwilling to bear the expense. And in some areas of the country, there's simply not a trained assessor near the project. In these unique circumstances, the remediator may find himself serving as the assessor, incorporating these processes into his project. I want to tell you this, I'll just insert this uh, parenthetically, that also means that there should be some sort of uh, legal protection for the guy who does this, and that's about having professional practices in place, and it's about making sure that you've got the proper paperwork in place. Uh, proper disclaimers and so forth. When that is required, when that is required, the CMAT should take special care to utilize third-party lab confirmation as part of the assessment process. So, in this case, the remediator is going to pass off to a lab um, the liability of uh, evaluating what the contamination levels actually are the amount of, of mold or bacteria that's there, the um, uh, types and so forth. And again, he's passing that off and that becomes an objective 
third-party confirmation of, of what he's done, even though he's the one who's taken the sample. Also, both Normie and the IICRC strongly recommend a third-party assessor on every remediation project to avoid an inherent conflict of interest. However, extreme circumstances may preclude that possibility, and in those instances, a trained professional remediator should have the skills necessary to implement the assessment process. This course teaches him to do that. And so to give you the picture again, what we're talking about on this particular certification is someone that's already a certified uh, mold remediator, probably licensed in a state. If he's not licensed in a state, at least he's uh, certified by us. What can he do and what can he not do on the assessment side that would, would not put his business in jeopardy? And so here's a line of what the class looks like. There are six modules. Uh, of course, we'll have our introduction, but I think this will give you a better sense of what we're doing when we're talking to remediators. The second module is the place of assessment in the mold industry, um, explaining to them that it's separated into two professions. We always want to use a um, uh, licensed mold assessor or third-party assessor if that's possible. So making helping them understand that this is only an option that you use uh, it's like a nuclear option. It's only an option you, you use if you have no other options. Uh, remediators need, need for this skill set. Why is it important for a remediator to learn how to do an assessment? Well, if you're thinking about a pre-assessment and there's not already been one done on the project, somehow he has to have an objective baseline to determine whether or not the project's been done correctly. And so that would be a good reason why he needs this skill set. Suppose the homeowner or the project manager is not interested in paying for a third-party clearance, a PRV. Uh, then should he be trained, should the remediator be trained in knowing how to do that? So that's module three, need for the skill sets. Not number four are pre and post remediation verification testing and sampling. What does it look like? How many should you take? Where should you take them? What types of samples should they be? Um, all of that is really discussed in this particular module. And it's really important to, to give this information to remediators because oftentimes these guys aren't even trained in it at all. Maybe the only, maybe the only exposure they've had to the assessment process at all was was in their initial class if they happen to take a class from Normie. But in terms of really understanding the assessment process, um, most do not. And then interim assessment to evaluate the progress. Again, part of the assessment process, and we, we always talk about this in our remediation classes, remediators need to know how to take assessments throughout the project, interim evaluations to make sure that they're making progress. Um, running a particulate counter, make sure a particle counter to make sure that they're lowering the particles as they go through the air scrubbing process. And uh, at what point should they be concerned that it's elevated? And at what point should they not be concerned as it, that it's elevated? In fact, in a containment situation, typically what you'll find is you'll find it doing this with particles. And as long as it's going down, <laughs> then we're making progress. Uh, but what do you do with those peaks? And so helping, to, helping them to understand the interim assessment process uh, is a part of this class as well. And then, of course, we'll have Module 6, the uh, certification process, what's involved in that, 
and the uh, proctored exam. So this six-module class is going to take about six to seven hours to teach it. So it's a one-day class. We are going to get it approved uh, by the state of Florida for, for continuing education credits for our remediators who feel a need for this class. But the program um, that's going to be at the experience, and this is the fly that's been made up for that particular event. Um, we're actually going to be there on um, the 31st, which is the day before the event, and we're going to do this training with, uh, I think, three other classes that are going on, but that's how this is going, we're going to introduce this class and launch this class, is going to be at the experience in Cincinnati. And so what I wanted to say about this, since we're talking about the experience, is we've told you before that we would love to have you as a Normie member there. Uh, we in this particular case, if you're local, uh, we'll be more than happy to, to get you into the event. Uh, we don't have any room. We rented a house up there, but all the rooms are, are taken already for the, the house that we rented. So we can't take anybody who comes in from out of, out of the uh, state unless they, they're, they're going to have to make your own provisions in terms of a sleeping room. But if you come to the event and if you're interested in attending and helping us with our booth, if you'll email support org. Uh, just put the experience in the subject line. They'll forward that on to me. I'll contact you and have a conversation with you. And if you're interested in helping us in the uh, booth, helping us with some of the training that we're going to be doing and so forth, we'll give you free access to the experience. And uh, that'll, I, I think it'll be good for you and good for us. We're looking for people who can help us with that. But that's one of the first things that I want to share with you tonight is the new uh, certification, certified mold assessment technician. We've got a second one that we uh, are putting in place called the Certified Mold Screener. Certified Mold Screener. And this is really for a lot of different, you're, you're going to see different segments of the industry that could use this uh, training, but the Normie Certified Mold Screener it's uh, these general standards, and what we've done now is we've actually written into our professional standards a section for this particular uh, training or this certification. These general standards and practices are minimum requirements, do not constitute complete or enough uh, specifications for mold screening in all cases. More detailed requirements developed by the Normie Certified Mold Screener for a specific mold screening may be required and shall take precedence over the provisions of this section. If you've read the professional practices recently, you recognize that language and that's the point that I'm making is this is actually in the professional practices now uh, we're, and we're going to be introducing this class uh, probably next month, I think the end of next month, I want to say March, um, in uh, New Orleans. The Normie professional shall work only under the provisions stated in a contract for services rendered, which should be presented to the client prior to the beginning of any project. Okay, so what is this class all about? What's a certified mold screener? Um, it's filling a hole that's in the industry that needs to be filled. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll tell you what it is. Uh, and notice that we're talking about mold only. We're not talking about a certified mold screener going out and taking bacteria samples, VOC samples, asbestos samples, formaldehyde samples. What we're talking about is we're focusing in on just mold. And so it's not the same 
uh, level or high, high level as an IAQ mold assessor. If you're already an IAQ mold assessor, you might take this class just because it gives you maybe an option or two. Uh, but if you work in a non-licensed state or you want to do a screening without having to write a long report or, or write protocol or any of the other things that are involved in the assessment process, that's what this this class is all about. It's actually a creating a uh, or filling a hole that's currently in the industry. And I'll show you why. I think it'll become really clear when I show you this next section. It says, what hole in the industry does this fill? All right, so where sampling is done when visible mold is lower than the state required threshold. So the state, for instance, of Florida says that if there's a mold uh, greater than 10 square feet of visible mold, that work must be done by a licensed assessor. And the question we always ask in class is, okay, so what if there's nine square feet of visible mold? Who, who actually does that? Well, really anybody could do it. A home inspector could do it, a moisture inspector could do it, a forensics um, evaluator could do it, uh, someone who was a CMI, certified mold inspector, been trained at, at uh, with ProLab, and they got, uh, they got a certificate that said they're a certified mold inspector. They could do that because it's under the threshold. So there's a hole in the industry that we think could be filled and could be filled with the right kinds of uh, standards and the right kinds of guidelines. That's one hole. Here's another hole where non-licensed states do not regulate the mold inspection or assessment process. Here in Louisiana, we have no requirement for mold assessment. And so even though I have, uh, I'm a CMA and I have a license in the state of Florida, somebody who has no training, no experience, no nothing, could go in right behind me and uh, instead of doing a project for $1,200, do a project for $200 and there's, we're competing. Um, and so the point is, is that in non-licensed states that do not regulate the assessment process, this fills that hole. What about where a client is not interested in paying for a full-blown IAQ mold assessment? Well, again, there are a lot of clients that are not going to pay that huge amount. And what I mean by clients is I don't mean necessarily the property owner, but I'm thinking about, say, an insurance company. Maybe, maybe uh, you've had a claim and you want to know if there's mold in the environment and you want an assessment paid uh, done, but you're not – you can't pay for it. Maybe you can't afford to pay for it. What if the insurance company says, we're not going to pay for a full-blown IQ mold assessment, but we will pay for a few samples on mold? Well, it will fit. There's another hole in the market that we think this class fits, where a remediator may need to do a pre, post, or interim mold inspection with lab screening verification of results, where litigation might take place. So again, we just talked about this CMAT situations where a uh, mold remediator uh, it does not have an assessor on site. What about those situations? Does he need guidelines on how many samples to take, where to take those samples, uh, what, what to give the uh, customer in terms of a, a report? Another hole that needs to be filled where a certified home or forensics inspector may provide added value services to the client but not provide the complete services of a certified mold assessor. Um, I've got a story to tell you 
right now about a home inspector, and I'm not going to use his name, but I'll tell you that this happened to me. I, I know because one of my friends uh, recently tried to sell their house, and when the home inspector came in, uh, he smelled what he thought was mold, and so the realtor said, well, just go ahead and run a, a mold sample. He ran two samples, an indoor air uh, aerosol and an outdoor aerosol. The indoor aerosol came in higher than the outside uh, sample, and so he said the house needed to be remediated. No visible mold anywhere, uh, but that's what his recommendation was, was to remediate it. Bottom line is that the sample that he took, he took uh, 15 liters per minute for 10 minutes. Yes. He actually over-inoculated the sample by taking it twice as long as he should have. Well, now the die was cast. The, the purchaser wanted a mold remediation project. The realtor wanted a mold remediation project. Fortunately, I was able to get in because of my expertise and my credentials and talk them into a sanitization solution. But those two samples that that home inspector ran and did wrong cost the homeowner almost $4,000 in a sanitization protocol. Think home inspectors need to know how to make samples? Number six, where a CMI or inspector, somebody that's been trained by a lab somewhere or took their uh, online course and got their certificate or got ordered a home study course with a three ring binder and got their certificate, may have been working in the industry without insurable practices or guidelines to direct his taking of samples. Where only lab information about visible mold is needed. Somebody says, look, I'll, don't write a report. I don't need a report. I don't need a protocol. I just want to know what that is. Okay, here's some samples. I'll take so many samples based on professional practices. I'll send them in like I'm supposed to. I'll take them the way I'm supposed to. I'll deliver the report from the lab like I'm supposed to. And so you've got a very neat um, tool that you can put in your belt in these situations to, again, as I think, fill a hole that this, that's there. So Normie's filling this gap with insurable best practices, training and certification. We're gonna call it the Certified Mold Screener. Uh, the introduction of this class that's gonna take place in, um, uh, in March, as I suggested, is not open to the public. That's a private class. So even if you're in the area, you're not gonna be able to come to it. But my point is, is that we're going to make this a freestanding, uh, probably an online course, try to get some continuing education credits for it and use it as, again, another option for you. Can I just say this as a mold assessor, an IQ mold assessor, um, there are a lot of tools that we can put in our belt. We don't have to do a $1,200 assessment every time we do an assessment. We could, if we wanted to, do something for less money, which might be this type of option. We might, if we wanted to, give them a do-it-yourself kit like the Professional Screening Partner Program, uh, which I encourage you to be trained in. These are all tools in the belt. They don't, they don't uh, dilute the market. They expand your market. And I want you to think about that. And think about how you can get a larger piece of the pie by having a lot of these tools in your, in your belt, uh, rather than just uh, focusing on, I only do one thing and I only do it this way and I don't do anything else. So anyway, think about that. That's where we think this fits in as a certified mold screener.
All right, so that's number two. Number three, I want to talk about this puppy, coronavirus. Um, obviously, a lot of information out there in the marketplace right now about coronavirus. I want to tell you what we've learned and what we know to be true, factual, uh, from credible sources. And uh, to, to, I want to put this in a, a maybe a different context than what you've been uh, used to hearing, but I think it will benefit you uh, greatly, and I hope you'll you'll feel like you've learned something from from this. So this is the most current uh, that I've seen on the overall flu impact on the United States. And here's what I want you to understand. I want you to see the difference in these numbers. Coronavirus worldwide uh, to date exposed about so far 17,000 people. I know this is increasing every hour, so I couldn't keep up with it. But we're at about 18,000. I want you to look at the number of people that are exposed in the U.S. Not exposed, but actually contract the flu in the United States in one year. 35 million. 35 million. And so far, worldwide, coronavirus has resulted in 362. I think the last number I saw was 427 uh, deaths. But look at the flu in just the United States, 34,000 deaths. The reason I'm saying that is that don't buy into the hype that some people buy into just because this happens to be all over the news and a lot of people are panicking because they don't know what to do about it. It's a virus, but at least at this point, it seems to be pretty rare in terms of the number uh, of people that have been exposed to it and the number of people who have actually died from it. And so just, I, saying let's put it into uh, its proper context. So what do we know? In less than a month, a new coronavirus has spread from one region in China to dozens of other countries, including the United States. China has reported that 425 people have died on the mainland uh, from the new virus with an additional 3,200 new cases Monday, bringing the to uh, total to about 20,000. Um, again, these numbers are changing constantly. The World Health Organization has declared a global emergency. Part of that is because of the, the uh, speed in which it's been um, uh, reported or, or it's spread. And they've advised, of course, against all travel uh, to or in some cases from China. On Sunday, the Department of Homeland Security announced that flights to the U.S. with any passengers who have been to China in the previous 14 days be rerouted to one of 11. I think that's been increased, or I think it was seven, now it's increased to 11 U.S. airports, including Dulles, uh, even if the passenger's travel history is discovered after the flight takes off. So that's just kind of a thumbnail overview of what we know about this virus. But here are some specific things we know. The CDC says that uh, is what they call a novel coronavirus, something they haven't seen in humans before now. So something that they knew uh, was that they were aware of, but they've not actually seen it in humans. The reason that's important is because this is not, it's not something that is necessarily uh, unique. And what I mean by that is the, the fundamental virus itself, apparently they've, it has been around, it's just mutated. Um, the other thing is it's likely related to the bat virus, similar to SARS. And I don't know if you remember much about SARS, uh, but they found out pretty quickly ways that they could um, protect people from 
a SARS, and part of it, frankly, is uh, the air purification equipment that we uh, talk about, the uh, MCI technology. Most common symptoms are fever, cough, and shortness of breath, possibly nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, and initially thought only to be transmitted from animal to human, um, but there are now cases of human-to-human transport. I, I think there was one reported today, as I recall. Uh, but they think that this actually uh, came from the uh, seafood and animal markets in China. One of the interesting things that I read about this, um, which is kind of fascinating to me, is that the uh, raw meat that is uh, sold in the seafood and animal markets in China uh, is incredibly fresh. And oftentimes, the, either the animal is killed on the spot or is just freshly killed, but definitely skinned on the spot so people can see what they're purchasing. So a little bit different from uh, the way we do things. I, I don't think I've ever seen that done at Winn-Dixie. Uh, you know, it's all wrapped up nice and vacuum sealed and all that sort of thing, but that's not the case um, in China. And so they're assuming that some of these uh, viruses that, that uh, these strange animals might have, and there are a lot of odd things that they eat there, but uh, that a lot of the viruses may uh, have mutated to a point where they could then be, uh, could enter the human uh, system. Antibiotics do not, of course, work on viruses, only on bacteria. So once you get it, um, there, there's not a lot of, uh, uh, not a lot of success that they're going to have with treating it in some way. I think what they're doing mostly is monitoring and um, uh, fluids and those sorts of things keep from being dehydrated. Uh, that I could find, which I thought was kind of interesting, on where uh, the cases have been, and this is that 427 uh, total deaths and 20,000 confirmed, but you can see that it's most uh, of all in the China area. However, you'll notice on the left-hand side that it's also been found in Germany, uh, Australia, um, U.S., and France. So uh, they're finding it uh, out away from uh, China as well. And obviously that's because we're in a global economy and people fly in and out um, of China all the time. What we should know, well, the CDC considers this a very serious public health threat based on current information, the immediate health risk from 2019 uh, coronavirus to the general American public is considered low at this time. The immediate health risk is considered low, even though they consider it a serious threat, they, based on current information, they see it as uh, considered pretty low in terms of the, the threat to the American public. Traveling out of the country is probably not a good idea. I wouldn't be going to, uh, to Korea anytime soon or to China. Um, in fact, my, my brother-in-law who goes to China pretty much every year, sometimes twice a year to do ministry work, uh, just recently canceled his flight. CDC says these are their recommendations. Wash your hands often with soap and water. We can't stress enough that no matter what you do, even if you're incorporating some of the newest technologies that, that are out there, some of the uh, wonderful air purification and air filtration technologies and good green cleaners and all those sorts of things, you still can't, um, you can't minimize the importance of standard uh, sanitization uh, protocols. Washing your hands often with soap and water, keeping them clean is incredibly important. Avoid touching your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And again, this is from the CDC. 
stay home when you're sick, rest, take plenty of fluids, eat, cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue, clean and disinfect frequently touched objects. And so keeping a clean environment uh, obviously is a, is a really big deal. And what we're going to recommend is that you use a really good air purifier. <laughs> and the reason we're going to recommend good air purifier is because the technology that we're promoting through the trademarked MCI technology has been tested on coronavirus. And so let me tell you how this works. And then I want to show you some of the testing results that we've gotten. And, uh, and these are available to you to be able to download. And I'll tell you where you can download that in a few minutes. But here's the point. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and they asked the same question that a lot of people typically ask about uh, the, the Pure Synergy. They say, then that's our standalone unit, the, the MCI Pure Synergy. Does the Pure Synergy product, has the Pure Synergy product been tested on uh, coronavirus? Has the Pure Synergy product been tested on C. diff? Has the Pure Synergy product been tested on Stachybotrys? Has the MCI Pure Synergy product been tested on fill in the blank? And that's really the wrong question to ask. And I'll tell you why. This is how I straighten out someone's question. Uh, products typically are not tested. What's tested are the components that are inside of those products. And so, for instance, if you have a, a particular uh, component and you can test that component and you can determine that that component has been effective against this particular contaminant, then when you put that component in your air purifier, it's still going to work on that contaminant. And it doesn't matter whether you put it in this air purifier or this air purifier or this air purifier or this piece of equipment, it doesn't matter. It's going to work the same way. So what's, what the question, that question that should be asked is, it's just most people don't know to ask this question. The question that should be asked are, are the technologies that you're utilizing in this piece of equipment, have those been tested on this particular contaminant? That's the question. I'm going to say it again. Have the components that you're including in this equipment been tested on this specific contaminant? That's the question. Because if it has, then and it's been successful, then you can say this technology, this equipment is, is uh, successful because the components inside the equipment have been effective on these particular contaminants. Uh, and, and that's an important distinction to make. Because then if the, if the component's been tested, that com component can go into anything. Doesn't really matter. It can go into any kind of, uh, of equipment, whether it's a big equipment for a casino or small equipment for your bathroom. If it does what it's going to do in the lab, if, it, if it's effective, it's going to be effective in every situation. You may need more of it, but it's going to be effective in every situation. And so uh, we have two components that are the most important uh, components of our uh, probes and of the probes and the uh, standalones from Best Living Systems. We have two components, and both of them have been tested. One is DVI, the diaduct barrier ionizer, and the other one is PCO, photocatalytic oxidation. The DVI technology is what essentially produces the ion cluster which we've trademarked multi-cluster ionization because we actually put those two together, the PCO and the DVI. 
But the dielectric barrier ionizer is a Korean product. It has an international, Korean international patent. And we uh, have the rights to that at Best Living System. And we put that product into the standalones and the probes. So here's the question that's been asked. How does it work? The ion cluster, an ion cluster is a single molecular structure that contains numerous positive oxygen ions, negative ion, oxygen ions, peroxides, and hydroxides. Can be found mostly in air, natural uh, sunlit areas, especially ab above waterfalls and in forests, but its numbers greatly decreases in urban areas. It can stay in the air for about 120 seconds, during which it attacks, reduces odors and germs. And after that, ion cluster turns back to a simple oxygen molecule state due to the ion equilibrium. This is from the Pseudo Corporation in um, uh, just this last month. Then the Pseudo uh, Corporation talking about how the technology works. Inside of this particular PowerPoint, I'm not going to show it to you tonight, but inside of this particular PowerPoint is the testing data specifically on different contaminants and one of them is the coronavirus. And so we have the testing data that shows that this ion cluster work, uh, technology, DBI, dielectric barrier ionizer, works even on the coronavirus. Like I said, it's not a new virus. It's been around and so it was something that, that uh, they could test on and the testing data is in our uh, testing report. Green Tech just produced this last week um, and says this, and right now the Wuhan coronavirus, such a hot topic, interestingly enough, Americans should be more concerned uh, with the US influenza than with the Wuhan coronavirus. And I just, I showed you the reason why for that. Um, but anyway, he goes on to say, so as we are educating our customers, we would be wise to correct any hysteria over Wuhan coronavirus and point them to the dangers of influenza here in the US. Pure active air purification effectively destroys all viruses in the air and on surfaces, including coronavirus, when used as we instruct in the owner's manual. Pure air active air purification is PCO technology, photocatalytic oxidation. And again, the dielectric barrier ionizer tested in Korea, the PCO technology tested here in the United States, both of them have been shown to be effective against the coronavirus. Um, the Wuhan coronavirus, the U.S. influenza, and even those really yucky stomach viruses are all included in that statement. It doesn't require different forms of technology to kill different types of viruses. PCO technology and ozone technology of pure air will kill the virus on a molecular level no matter what kind of virus it is. And so that's the statement from GreenTech. And we've included both of those um, statements, not just the statement, but the backup documentation, uh, which substantiates those statements. We've included those now in our testing data that will, if it's not available now, it will be available at bestlivingsystems.com. Uh, and so that's what this slide is about. One of the best ways to protect yourself and your family from the airborne and or surface contaminants that can make us sick is by using the trademarked MCI technology in every living environment. 
whether at home in the office, in the dorm room or classroom, MCI has the technology proven to reduce biological contaminants, including mold, bacteria, and viruses. The testing data is clear. And let me just say this. I'm going to underscore this. I wish I could put it in giant, bold print, 18 points, and underscore it. Um, PDCO technology, DBI technology, MCI technology works to kill mold, bacteria, and viruses. So when someone comes up and says, well, what about this particular bacteria? Mold, bacteria, and viruses. What about this particular kind of mold? It's a black toxic mold and it's really powerful and it's people are getting sick from it. And mold, bacteria, and viruses. We, know, we make this point in our class all the time when we talk about biocides. The, the effectiveness of a biocide, uh, they typically are using surrogates uh, when they do testing, but the effectiveness of a biocide, the reason they can call it a biocide is because it kills things that are biological. So anything that's biological, if you have enough of the biocide, it's going to kill the biological. MCI technology is incredibly effective and has been proven over and over again, both in clinical studies and in field testing, that it kills mold, bacteria, and viruses. And you shouldn't be afraid, uh, you should be confident, you shouldn't be afraid about this, you should be confident to tell the customer that if you want to protect yourself against mold, bacteria, and viruses, this is part of the solution. There is no silver bullet. You still have to eat well. You still have to hydrate. You still have to wash your hands. You still have to wear a mask if you go into the airport. You still don't fly to China. But the point is, is that this is another layer of protection that we, we dare not ignore. It's something that we should really seriously think about uh, practicing not only in our own homes, but in the homes of the people that we love. And note at the bottom here, testing data is available with the BLS, uh, BLS VIP password at bestlivingsystems.com. If you go to bestlivingsystems.com, you'll see a tab there that says VIP. Click on that. The password is capital BLS VIP, and you can download I found out today, I, I, 560 something pages of testing data. And inside that testing data, you're going to see not only these documents, but the testing that's been done on a whole range of other things, viruses and bacteria and particles and all sorts of things. So that's what I want to share with you tonight on the coronavirus. And then before we close tonight, I'm just about ready. I want to remind you about events.normie.org. This is our new site, which promotes, it's right up there, which promotes classes. Uh, we've been working really hard to make this a dynamic so that it's, uh, it's always in real time. You can always find out where, where a class is, uh, how much it costs, and register for it. So events.normie.org. Don't forget about that. And uh, take a look, grab some of your... Um, Grab some of your CEUs if you need them. Let me look at the questions here for just a second, see if there's anything I missed. And says, unless somebody's been following, I don't know if Roger, you've been following the questions or Lance, somebody sees something that I need to answer here. I've been answering them as they came in. Oh, good. Okay. All right. So then you don't need me. He's always on it. Wow. Oh, wow. That's, that's, I, I, feel, I feel so useless. <laughs> 
Well, I'll tell you, uh, there are a lot of positive comments on that. <clears throat> the uh, replay of this will be available in the uh, member section tomorrow for a CEU credit in case anybody missed it uh, or coming late and wants to see it again. And you can also get CEU credits for tomorrow uh, when you start watching it there. There'll be a code in here for you to input to get credit for that. Remember to log your CEUs. Please don't forget that. You have anything else for us, Doug? I don't. Thank you so much, guys, for being here tonight. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next Tuesday night. All right. Thank you, Doug. Thank Roger, you. thank you, too, for being here. I think Tim may have had a step away, though he may, he may still be in there. Uh, if not, thank you also for being here. And I want to thank everybody and all the other platforms. I'm going to be shutting down the feed momentarily. So I just want to say goodnight to everybody on Facebook, uh, DLive, YouTube, Ustream, the Twitch network, and uh, normie.org slash TV. We will have this presentation replaying on there also as of tomorrow. So take care, everyone. We'll see you all next week. Remember to log your CEUs. Don't forget about it. It should be on the page behind this screen when we end this presentation tonight. And we'll see you all here next week, Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central Time. We'll stand by, everybody, so I can uh, close this out. Thanks, Lance. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. And I'm shutting down the other networks and say good night there first.